Today, I am live at the International Leadership Association Conference, and I am delighted to be joined by Gama Perucci and Sadnama Wardi Hall. And we're talking about the question of, can you actually teach leadership? My name is Sadna Hall, and I'm the Deputy Director of the Rockefeller Center at Dartmouth College. I am originally from Brazil. Where I grew up was during the military dictatorship, where leadership development was actually discouraged. The idea that if you develop leaders, you are dispersing power, and that can be threatening. So now I'm dean of uh, the McDonough Leadership Center at Marietta College in Ohio. And the two of you just recently co-authored a book. That's correct. The title of the book is Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice. The publisher wanted to do one on teaching leadership. That really resonated with me because many times I get this question from parents. So once the student is applying to our leadership program, the parents have that skeptical look and mm -hmm. say, can you really teach leadership? And to me, that question has a certain assumption that uh, if you say, that uh, you are a natural leader, therefore, you already know leadership, so you cannot be taught. Now, hmm. I question that assumption because, uh, and I mentioned this uh, to uh, the parents and to, to my students, that even if you are a gifted athlete, you still practice. You still have to practice. You still have to learn the rules of uh, the mm -hmm. game. So uh, just to say you're a natural leader, that in itself does not take away the value of learning about leadership. So the way we, we organize this in the book is in three ways to answer this question. Well, you can teach about leadership. Mm -hmm. The second is you can teach for leadership. So what does that mean? Good question. So the first one is the leadership education, where you can learn the theories and the models. Mm -hmm. And the second one, teaching for leadership, and that's the practice. Okay. That's where you see, okay, what are, how do these theories mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. in the real world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in other words, how can you organize yourself to incorporate those th theories and then make it practical okay. for students or anybody, mm -hmm. adults, adults, working adults, moving it. So this book, in fact, mm -hmm. really speaks to that style of thinking about mm -hmm. leadership, that there are certain theories, you internalize them, and then now you practice how you mm -hmm. can actually put them into action. Which leads to the third part. So I talked about uh, teaching about leadership, teaching for leadership. But the third one is where you teach what we call practical wisdom. Okay. So it's a really a combination. Once you, you gain that perspective of the knowledge side and then you practice, that's when you start developing the wisdom mm -hmm. that comes from reflection and experience. The third part, practical wisdom. Give me an example of that. So when you think about wise people, mm -hmm. you pretty much assume that they've had experience, they know what they are talking mm -hmm. about, but to get to that stage, mm -hmm. you need to do things the right way, in the right style, and mm -hmm. at the right time. Okay. And that requires habits, 
that requires an understanding of values that govern you, mm-hmm. bringing your values in congruence with your behavior. Also understanding how you work, becoming self-aware, how you work in teams, and how you work with an organization to achieve societal goods or great products or services if you're working mm-hmm. in the business sector. Yeah. So when I look at an example, and I start with students here, mm-hmm. if they want to develop habits that allow them to practice certain behaviors, they have to understand, first of all, what those habits are. Are mm-hmm. they want to develop, mm-hmm. and then they need to be made accountable for that. Okay, so broadly it translates into a workplace in the same way. You understand your job, you understand the competencies required for it, you understand mm-hmm. how you're going to implement those competencies, and then how you make it a habit to do it consistently, practically, mm-hmm. and properly. So this makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, seems, and I'm happy to hear that what you're saying because otherwise I am really off track in what I'm doing. <laughs> Very selfish <laughs> testing my, my own work. So, say I'm running an organization, I've got people in the organization that I think are good, and I want to accelerate their development into management and leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Given what you're talking about, so almost the example of the parent, I have someone who I think is is effective or will be effective, but they need they need some more. Yes. No, in the key word that uh, you used there was development. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, we think of leadership as uh, almost a magic portion. That I tried I, the fairy dust it no more. Right. <laughs> exactly. So if you go to the workshop and then you get all the seven steps. I, I and... can't do this from a blog post. I don't even get a workshop, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, all of a sudden you become a great leader. And mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't work that way. That uh, So in the book, we, we reframe leadership not as that kind of secrets and steps to more of a, as a process. So when you talk about development, it's the idea that uh, you have to expand your knowledge base, Mm -hmm. but you also have to be practicing. And the key is to reflect, gain the lessons, Mm -hmm. and continue. So if you are helping someone develop, you also have the responsibility to create the environment for that person to grow mm-hmm. and so not necessarily overwhelming the person that uh, sometimes I see this uh, with uh, young professionals who are very ambitious and they want to grow and they take on too much mm-hmm. and then they crash and that's not productive. So again, just thinking about the world I'm currently working within People will come to our year-long programs, but they don't assume almost like fairy dust or tips and tricks or something Mm -hmm. that our program has a lot of homework. It has exercises, um, self-awareness exercises, SWOT analysis, development plans, all that stuff, and reflection questions. And uh, what I've heard them say is, can't you just get rid of all that stuff and just make me a better leader? And 
what I hear you saying from a research perspective is, no, it doesn't work that way. Exactly. It's hard work. It's hard work. And I actually have to change if I'm going to lead more effectively. I don't have to change if I can talk about leadership. I can read all kinds of books and talk about what Lincoln did, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't do me any good if I don't work more effectively in my context. Yeah, and I also believe that uh, if you were a manager, Uh that's what the pressure on you is, actually. So if, if you are mentoring somebody to advance in an organization, you've got to create the space for them. And you've got to create the metrics for them to actually meet those goals. Because unless you keep people accountable, it reaches or learning reaches at that same level where they're afraid to try more and go beyond their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to create a learning zone for people. Okay. So in other words, most people, I mean, th- there is a theory on this. Mm-hmm. So people need to be, especially as lifelong learners, need to be in a learning zone all the time. So as managers, that's what we need to do. So it should be tied to the mission of the organization, the mm-hmm. products and services that you're trying to develop. The effectiveness and efficiency of the organization also depends on that. So if you look at your, the team that you're working with, it's really important to look at your team in that way. How do I make my team more productive, more effective, more efficient, and get the desired products and services? So what I think I hear you saying is then the the learning zone is safety, support, but also challenge. Challenge, yes. Definitely, definitely. But you cannot go too far on the challenge that then... They melt. Well, they go into the panic Panic. zone. Okay. So you have the comfort zone. And you want to push them out of comfort. You're not going to grow by being comfortable. Okay. So you have to go into it, and that's what we meant. (laughs) You both did it at the same time. (laughs) So challenge, not panic. Yes. Exactly. What happens when I go into panic? Do I regress? Curl up in a ball? All of those things, I guess. <laughs> and also, I think people become dysfunctional. Uh-huh. And they get okay. disengaged in their jobs, you know. And you see this also even when you're working with young people. If you're moving them way too much, you can see the panic. And you can see okay. that they're not going to go beyond a particular stage. And so this theory was actually proposed by Tom Selinger. Okay. So... I really believe in it very deeply mm-hmm. because I've watched students, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. go from the comfort zone into the learning zone and into the panic zone if you push them too far. And mm-hmm. I've seen it even in a work environment. It was just all the difference too. Exactly. In all different work contexts. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's almost like you're reading non-verbals. Okay. Okay. And not what people say, but really what they don't say is the most important thing. Yeah, I'm just thinking of examples of people saying, like, I didn't understand, but I hear feedback at the end of a year. So that may be someone who was either disengaged or panicked. Right. That, that I mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable or safe or motivated to do more. Yeah. So I'm just going to opt out. I'll show up, yeah. maybe. Yeah. There's another key word there. So you mm-hmm. mentioned development earlier. Another one is intentionality. Mm-hmm. So the, the learning part doesn't take place accidentally. That And, and then that's the responsibility of the mentor, the coach, or the uh, mm-hmm. leadership educator to really create the opportunities and the circumstances for 
that individual to be in that learning zone. Okay. And so what are some of those opportunities and circumstances? What did they look like? Well, and that's uh, why I think we, we worked really well together because uh, the, the book talks about bridging uh, theory and practice. Mm -hmm. So my background is more on the theory side and then Sadna's background more on the application side. I think the idea of introducing the learner to a particular concept and then create the activities and the application, but then a key part that comes after that is the reflection. Mm -hmm. The ability to get the learner to step back and mm -hmm. then see, okay, it worked here, it didn't work here, mm -hmm. and then gain the lessons, and that's when you start developing your wisdom part. And then another way also of looking at it is when you are a manager, uh -huh. you have to know your staff. You yeah. cannot treat yeah. them one way, your direct reports. You can't mm -hmm. treat, have a, this, a similar treatment for each person. Mm -hmm. So each mm -hmm. person has their own way of growing and glowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you've got to find out what are those things in each person that you're going to actually touch mm -hmm. and help them to articulate it. Okay. And this is, I think, to me, the most significant uh, difference in how you train people. If you get people to realize what they want to grow mm -hmm. on yeah, and articulate it themselves, mm -hmm. they have set up goals for themselves. Mm -hmm. Rather than me dictating. Dictating it. And once you... Using them to training. Exactly. And so they start looking at their growth in a different way. Okay. And once you do that, you create the space for them. You provide the opportunities for them. But I think most importantly, you hold them accountable. Okay. Because I think within the rush of day-to-day -day work, you can lose what you're trying to grow. So on that topic, yes. what doesn't work? Your companies spend billions of dollars a year on training and your point of view, lose what you're trying to cultivate, right? And the companies pay, they release employees to go do, or they go off to expensive graduate programs, all kinds of range of things, or they do stretch assignments. And it seems like, you know, there's research that says these things work more than those things, but help us understand if I am a leader of people in a corporation or a nonprofit, and I want to send, I want to help my people become better. What do I need to, what are the pitfalls to avoid? Well, I, I do think that uh, I, we're not saying here that a weekend retreat doesn't work or a particular activity. No. What I think we're saying is that uh, you have to put those activities within that broader context mm -hmm. of leadership development. One, item uh, is uh, there are no quick roads to that final destination. tricks aren't the right thing. No. So you really have to approach this developmentally okay. in different stages. Your employees or emerging leaders are in different stages of development. Mm -hmm. And so you have to tailor the kinds of activities, the kinds of assignments toward where they they are. 
Also, I think that what won't work is when they come back from a training, and just as Gama said, okay, you have a larger context within which they are growing and they're mm-hmm. developing. Your hope. Your hope. Your hope. Your hope is. But I think that people recognize authenticity. People recognize sincerity and people recognize mm-hmm. that someone is trying to invest in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what excites human mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. That there is care. There is concern. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is compassion in a workplace. And I think we have forgotten, many of us have forgotten mm-hmm. what that looks like and feels like. So I think that when people come back from the retreat, so they come back from different places, it doesn't end there. So it's the reminder of mm-hmm. okay, what did you learn? It's the reflection of how you mm-hmm. want to put it into practice. It's allowing people to practice and fail and then simply say it's okay to make a mistake and mm-hmm. then move on. I think that's more important. So I'm thinking of the continuum, and I shared this earlier. Early in my career, I went off to training and I was very excited. I come back and I want to share it with people. And and someone said, "Eh, yeah, give it a week. You'll be back to normal, back to the old way of doing things. And then I think on the other end of that continuum, organizations that send their employees to training and say, when you come back, I want you to do a lunch and learn so everyone gets to benefit. And how might we implement something differently? The first example is kind of the killer of new ideas. Mm-hmm. The second example or somewhere on the continuum that's appropriate for that culture is nurturing and the recognition that if I take someone, pluck them out of a system and then parachute them back in and the system hasn't changed, they will eventually go mostly back to their own behaviors. Right. But by creating a container, and I think you said earlier uh, that in a growing and developing company, a learning organization, that there would be the expectation that we would all take advantage of what various people are learning and bring that almost new ingredients in the soup. The soup becomes better when it percolates and and we add spice. Right. And I think it's also when you people get energized Mm -hmm. when when they're supported with new ideas and once they're energized I think they move to higher levels of achievement. Well, and you tied that to mission and and personal purpose. And for many people, not everyone, we're excited by developing. And organizations that let us develop in ways that are are the intersection of what we care about and what the organization's mission is. So I don't get to go off and do scuba diving lessons necessarily, paid for by my leadership company. But there are lots of things like coming to this conference that I do. <laughs> but there's also the responsibility of the supervisor mm-hmm. to support that. So it's not just on the learner. Mm-hmm. It's also mm-hmm. on the supervisor mm-hmm. within the organization to then play that role of creating the space and supporting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that gets back to the accountability. If I've invested in you... I expect you to come back and teach your colleagues what you've learned. Now, you won't be an expert professor, but a lunch and learn or something. If you go to a conference, mm-hmm. you should come back with something mm-hmm. other than a suntan or a hangover. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so share what you've learned 
So in the last uh, 30 seconds of our interview, I want to make sure you reshare the name of your book and one thing that you would like people to take away from this conversation. Well, the title of the book is Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice. A couple of things I want people to take away is be the person that people can count on and hold anybody who's reporting to you accountable and be compassionate. Thank you both so much. Thank this you. is really helpful. I'm thinking of all of the people who design and buy training for their organizations and make such huge investments. And I don't know that they necessarily have in mind what framework will actually promote the best value for the people that they're trying to help and for the organization. And I think this provided great insight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My guest right now is Karen Ford from James Madison University. Karen runs a PhD program at James Madison focused on helping leaders develop. Karen, can you tell us a little bit about you, including where you went to school? Uh, my parents told us we had to go a minimum of three hours from home. I went the closest to home. I went 10 hours from home to a school in far southwest Virginia called Emory and Henry, started in 1836, and got an education there that I could not have gotten any other place in the world because I was out of my comfort zone. I learned mm -hmm. about country ham and red-eye gravy, moonshine, <laughs> and little places that I never knew existed and saw the richness of the culture and the geography mm -hmm. down there where I had some of my first real leadership opportunities in residential life and in organizations. Mm -hmm. And my doctorate is from Howard University in Washington, D.C., a historically black university. Started in 1865, just after the Civil War, for freed African Americans. You're white, and you went to a historically <laughs> white college. Yeah. What was the decision process to choose a place where you would be the minority? If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to try and facilitate change in today's world, you have to be aware of the scope of our country writ mm -hmm. large. And many of us in dominant society don't have to look at other mm -hmm. because of privilege. You know, white is normal. What I found out was a lot of things that I had thought. I was, you know, people thought, well, you know, it's not a rigorous PhD or doctoral program. And I went, mm, wrong. <laughs> you know, statistics, research, experiential activities uh, just really awakened me to different styles mm -hmm. of leadership that were and are effective, what people bring to their leadership style, and the difference that that can make in creating an authentic mm -hmm. leader, mm -hmm. and a deep understanding of what it's like, in some respects, not to be a member of dominant society, mm -hmm. and to appreciate that Howard was a excellent institution, mm -hmm. rigorous, engaging, intellectually stimulating, and created a network of folks all over the world and personal friends as mm -hmm. a result of that wonderful experience. So when you say different leadership styles, give me an example of what you took from there that informs the program you now 
I, I believe, launched and run. I did not watch it. I was part of the team that okay. helped create the School of okay. Strategic Leadership Studies at James Madison University. Different contexts require different sorts of leadership. And specific cultures, not only globally, but within our own country, approach things slightly differently. And learning and listening to ways that people were able to make change, working through people, not always having to lead the charge, but mm -hmm. working within a context that gave other people voice and understanding power dynamics and how to use them effectively, um, to use a poker analogy, when to hold them and when to fold them, mm -hmm. was uh, very instructive, mm -hmm. uh, rather than just you know, forward through the fog sort of mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. and that um, there were a variety of skills that aren't necessarily in all the textbooks, mm -hmm. sorts of, uh, of things, how to negotiate society and power situations in a, in a different way, you know, soft power, the effectiveness of coalitions, a term that I've sort of appropriated for myself is in looking at coalitions and facilitating change is the weirder, the better, hmm. and partners that wouldn't necessarily be thought to, to bring together to, okay. make, to make change. And... Uh, you know, the ability to listen. So in the program, how do you teach these things? We have a pracademic orientation, mm -hmm. which we have defined along with many others as a process where our students are grounded in theory, research, mm -hmm. and application mm -hmm. so that they come into a situation understanding leadership theories, organizational behavior. However, a key piece is working with them to develop the interpersonal skills to be able to work with a variety of stakeholders. We are not, you know, our folks are very good methodologists. We have a, a quantitative orientation. Mm -hmm. And part of the key from a pracademic perspective is to ensure that our students and ourselves as faculty know how to read an audience, read a group, uh -huh. read an organization to deliver the message in a way that those folks will engage with the information. Uh -huh. Our goal is not to begin to talk about eigenvalues and Cronbach's alpha and put everybody to sleep. Mm -hmm. If people want to know about the methodology, we are happy to share it with them. Mm -hmm. We know that practitioners want to know that there was a rigorous methodology to get the information mm -hmm. for informed decision-making and change. They're not necessarily interested in the minutia. Mm -hmm. So part of what we really work with our program participants is understanding the group that you're working with, leading, trying to affect change. And from a leadership perspective, how critical it is for the leader to be the flexible person as opposed to the followers. It's our job as leaders to create an atmosphere where we can engage our followers or the organization mm -hmm. that we're working in. So I never hear anyone talk about leaders need to be the flexible ones. I always hear, or almost always hear, 
followers have to bend to, to my will. So why do you say it differently? I tend to agree <laughs> with you mostly, except when they don't bend to my will. <laughs> All leadership is contextual. Right. And I think that, well, that is the place where we start in the School of Strategic mm -hmm. Leadership Studies. Mm -hmm. If you want to affect change, if you want to be an effective leader, you have to be able to engage your followers. Mm -hmm. Many of the leadership inventories let us know what our leadership style mm -hmm. is. That's critical to know. Right. So if you are not being effective in your particular situation, mm -hmm. to be able to go back and say, I'm this type of leader, clearly my followers or the people with whom mm -hmm. I'm working aren't responding well to that. So I what's required of me? What's in required of me to be effective with this group of individuals? Mm -hmm. And it's my job to figure out what I need to do as a leader to be effective. Mm -hmm. And you know, talking to them, reading their body language, listening to their questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need to reframe mm -hmm. this, or I need to give a more complete. Act explanation of why we're doing mm -hmm. X, Y, mm -hmm. or Z. We're going to continue to do, or we are going to do X, Y, and Z. Right. So you're not saying as a leader, I change and don't deliver my results. Correct. I'm just fluid in the method I use to get those results. Correct. And there's some dance with the followers mm -hmm. right? and stakeholders and board members. Right. And right. Whoever players. your stakeholders mm -hmm. are and mm -hmm. knowing and understanding your stakeholders is key to being an effective mm -hmm. leader. Mm -hmm. Another key point that we emphasize in the school strategic leadership studies is you are not solely a servant leader. You're not solely a transformational leader or a transactional leader mm -hmm. that knowing and understanding leadership theory allows you to be a better practitioner or leader that in this particular situation, I'm doing X. In this particular situation, I'm doing K. I love that because it is true, at least for me, that as a leader in a range of situations, sometimes you're not transforming. Sometimes something is on fire and you're pushing people out the Correct. door so that they don't burn down. Other times you're sensing a new opportunity that hasn't been done before and you're really creating something. And that's a different way of being than the autocratic or dictatorial, mm -hmm. we have to do this and we have to do it now. And I think it's why some leaders fail, right? They've got one tool. And they're great when that tool matches mm -hmm. the environment. But as the environment changes, they don't have the flexibility. And understanding the organizational setting that you find yourselves in. We have three areas of emphasis, nonprofit and community leadership, mm -hmm. um, post-secondary analysis and leadership, and organizational science and leadership. Everyone takes the for lack of a better term, at, at the doctoral level, um, the survey course in mm -hmm. the higher education post-secondary in nonprofits and in organizational science. Organizations and leaders don't operate in silos. So if, if you don't understand the intersection mm -hmm. of all of these and key leadership strategies in these particular areas, mm -hmm. you're not going to be as effective. So 
our program participants are exposed to the traditional range of leadership theories and mm-hmm. authors. Mm-hmm. Then they look at it in the context mm-hmm. of higher education or post-secondary programs, organizations, and the nonprofit arena. So as I'm looking at at our leaders right now who are trying to solve complex problems, they never happen in, in industry when we're trying to solve childhood obesity. It's not just a school issue. There are segments of nonprofits mm-hmm. that address it. There are segments of business that address it. There are segments of government that, that address it. So it sounds like you're helping people learn to work across sectors and also understand a systemic approach. Absolutely a systemic approach because, as we've said, we don't operate in silos in our professional lives, nor do we operate in silos in our personal Mm -hmm. lives. We use often a metaphor of how many worlds do you operate in in your personal life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's think about how many arenas you operate in your professional life. Mm -hmm. And... Who do we, whose research do we need to look at? Mm-hmm. We look at some of the seminal right. theories and authors. Mm-hmm. And then we look at emerging uh-huh. theories and ideas. You know, well represented at the International Leadership Association and their various conferences about how the world of leadership and our understanding of it is evolving. Yes. And the great man theory and trade theory has Mm -hmm. gone the way of the dodo bird. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know that leadership is relational. Mm -hmm. My relations with you are one thing. My relations with somebody in university setting, I'm going to take a different tact because I know the basic layout Mm -hmm. of university or college Mm -hmm. setting. Many universities, for instance, are nonprofit, yes. private organization, and and state universities are considered public charities. Uh, I'll bet operating differently than a federal one c three. Organizations have a culture and life of their own, mm-hmm. um, depending on the arena that they're in, and to have not a complete understanding of every organizational mm-hmm. structure, but understanding organizational theory and organizational behavior, and then adding the context of either nonprofits and communities, higher education, organizational settings, help our people be more fleet afoot. So you mentioned change. You've mentioned it almost every sentence from why, (laughs) and I know of your life, you have worked in several different areas, Mm -hmm. not academics being the last of a, a very successful career, but in different venues. Tell me a little bit more about your view on change and how it informs the program. Well, change is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we change personally from a child Mm -hmm. to a teenager to a young adult to hopefully Mm -hmm. a mature adult. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Some of us may have evidence. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not a smooth path. And neither is organizational behaviors. Mm -hmm. And understanding that change is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to be able to push it along. Mm -hmm. And what are more effective ways of making that happen? 
And leaders are change agents, mm-hmm. whether it is writ large organizationally, or we talk in our program a lot about leading from the middle. Mm-hmm. And what do mid-level leaders, how can they affect change up and down? Mm-hmm. And sometimes laterally, depending on your organization. And how do we enhance the ability or the prognosis for change? And a real leader needs to understand how to engage with multiple constituencies Mm -hmm. or stakeholders to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's relational. It's listening. It's making a strong case. Uh, Many times evidence-based for making Mm -hmm. a change, and then how you work with your followers to make that change as seamless as possible. Mm -hmm. It's never totally seamless. The more information, even if I'm one being negatively affected by the change, if my leader or leaders are transparent and I have a good understanding of Mm -hmm. why things are happening and Hopefully, I would be in a supportive organization that if I were being, um, my position was being eliminated, I'd have the support of uh, career changing and uh, services and, and, and that nature. Change with no explanation or support reflects poorly on an organization, whether it's a university, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a nonprofit, United Ways in many communities are now mm-hmm. going through change. Are we explaining what the circumstances are for the reason for change? Mm-hmm. I may not like the reason, but if I am given the reasons for change, mm-hmm. I can respect the leader for at least sharing that with mm-hmm. me instead of mm-hmm. giving me a pink slip on a Tuesday and I'm gone on Tuesday afternoon. So that's a part of leadership, too. And change takes planning. And it takes the leader being able to bring folks along. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to change mm-hmm. immediately. And, and being able to understand that in the, the case of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is back to context again. Yes, it's all about so I, context and understanding that and the, abil- the ability of the leader mm-hmm. to be able to explain that to mm-hmm. the followers to answer their questions and mm-hmm. to say, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know if it's going to be bumpy. I love the idea of teaching mid-level leaders because there are just more of them. Mm-hmm. Having good mid-level leaders and the idea of pracademic that that folks understand theory, not so they're theoreticians who can spout it, but so that they use good theory that is evidence-based to make decisions and work from as a leader. So putting it in practice, the pracademic mm-hmm. use, that just seems like a beautiful contribution to the field of leadership to teach students who go into the world who are more effective because they can take theory and make it practical in a broad range of contexts. Mm-hmm. And again, the theory helps me not just memorize a checklist, it helps me understand the foundation for what created the checklist and when it's going to work and when it's not. Theory does not answer questions. It does not provide answers. It gives you a context to evaluate mm-hmm. 
what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then for the leader to begin to adapt to the situation mm -hmm. based on what theory tells us can happen and how it can move us mm -hmm. forward. Concomitant with that is we work with our program participants around interpersonal skills, mm -hmm. how to best approach these sorts of situations. If you can't move from understanding why a situation is the way it is and then be able to communicate it to your followers, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're not leading. You can write a white paper on it and say, everybody read this. It's not. But that's not effective. So interpersonal leadership mm -hmm. skills are critical, which is why we have um, an experiential component in our program, where at the end of their academic work, they, in concert with the faculty, mm -hmm. choose a place to do a consulting job that mm -hmm. gives them a chance to practice when mm -hmm. they learn. And, and our folks come in skilled, so it's not a large stretch. And I've loved actually working with one of those students who's done mm -hmm. a brilliant job in consulting on developing a leadership program. Mm -hmm. So if he is an example of the quality of students that come out, they're really good. And we like to think so. Yeah. Certainly have helped shape my thinking about our work because of the quality of his, again, both academic and practical experience. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, what do you want listeners to take away from the conversation about developing future leaders? which seems so important, again, because leadership itself is changing. How do we make sure that we continue to grow the highest quality of leaders? I think understanding context and then being able to mesh context with theory and research is critical, particularly at the doctoral level. Mm -hmm. Leadership education is contextual. What you do at the bachelor's level and perhaps the master's mm -hmm. level is a little different. We are focused on a holistic, a 360 approach. Mm -hmm. So you've got personal skills, you've got research skills, you've got theoretical depth, and then you have practice opportunities mm -hmm. in there. Plus your dissertation, which the final chapter has to be very applied. You have to take your research and give it to the world in a way that they can use it to make change or to improve their settings. Wonderful. Thank you. So Karen Ford, School of Strategic Leadership at James Madison. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you have enjoyed this segment focusing on how to develop leaders of the future. We hope you check in again soon.